chapter 20. As you recall, the Apostle Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. And he has called for the elders from the area churches to come and meet him at Miletus. And he is in the middle of some farewell statements. We'll begin at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the world and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I think we will pause there. I don't think today we'll have time to get to the rest of it. So we'll be looking principally at verses 28 through 32. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your blessing upon the reading of this word. We ask for spiritual guidance as we move through this text. May we be encouraged and instructed. May we see the weightiness of Paul's admonition to these early church leaders. May we also see application to the rest of the congregations. For Father, we long to be faithful in so many ways. Strengthen our sincerity and our love for you by your word. Amen. A woman by the name of Hannah Arendt was born to a Jewish family and grew up in East Prussia. Her education was personally influenced by Martin Heidegger and Karl Jaspers. She was an intelligent and gifted writer and thinker and became a well-known political philosopher. And all of this was in the early 1920s and 30s. In the early 1930s, she published some articles exposing the rise of Jewish persecution in Germany. In 1933, the year Hitler came to power, she was imprisoned by the Gestapo for four years just because of her research. When she was released, she fled Germany. A very wise thing to do. We all know that she was correct in her assessment of Adolf Hitler. But at that time, the only ones that believed her were the Nazis because they knew she was telling the truth. In an article published by the Foundation of Economic Freedom, Lawrence Reed responds, makes some comments about this woman. 
Apparently, she had published an article in 1963 in the New York Times. And he was responding to, Lawrence Reed was responding to the comments that she had written in that article about the execution of the Nazi war criminal Adolf Eichmann. Eichmann was a man behind the plans and logistics for the final solution that birthed and carried out all the imprisonment and execution of millions of Jews when he was found in South America, arrested and brought to trial. Hannah Arendt had the opportunity to witness that trial. And she wrote about it. For 20 years between World War II, the end of World War II and 1963, everyone wondered where this man was and knew he had to be a monster. During his trial, Eichmann tried to defend himself by saying that he was only following orders. And Hannah Arendt, in her article, wrote that Eichmann was so normal. It included that he was indeed, quoting, a rather ordinary and unthinking functionary. And the Jewish community around the world read that and were stunned very disappointed. They were merciless in their comments, their response to Hannah Arendt. How callous of a trail of her own Jewish people. How could any thoughtful person dismiss Eichmann so cavalierly? But Lawrence Reed says they missed the point. Quoting Reed, the big lesson of her thesis, I think, is this. If evil comes calling, do not expect it to be stupid enough to advertise itself as such. It's far more likely it will look like your favorite uncle or your sweet grandmother. It might just might cloak itself in grandiloquent platitudes like equality and social justice and common good. It could even be a prominent member of parliament or Congress. In the 1930s, Hannah Arendt tried to warn the world that wolves were approaching. Very few people believed her. In our text, Paul gives us some reasons, gives some instruction to the leaders of the church at that time, and he also gives a warning. We want to see Paul's points as watch over yourselves, watch over the flock, or watch over the church, and be aware that wolves are all around. Three points. When we read the text, Acts 20:28 20, in the ESV begins by saying pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. I think the ESV is a little soft right here. The NIV says keep watch over. In my mind that's a little bit stronger. The New American Standard I think is the strongest translation by saying be on guard for yourselves. The word literally comes from the Greek, prosekete, pay close attention to, 
hold on to, give oneself to. And it is in the, it's a verb that is in the imperative active tense. Anytime there's an imperative, you know you've got to pay some strong attention to it because it's important. And it's kind of lost in the English translation. Pay careful attention. He is speaking to the church leaders, but it applies to all believers. You are overseers. It is a godly honor to serve the Lord. The Holy Spirit puts you there, and because Christ's blood ransomed the church. We are to pay careful attention. We are to pay close attention, hold on to, give oneself to. Other places in the Greek, that word prosekete is a word that's also used when they're talking about addiction to wine, when someone's given over to it. So Paul here, or at least Luke here, is using a word that communicates when you're going to watch over this task of your own spiritual health and the spiritual health of the church, it's got to be consuming. It's got to be first place in your life. And how often do we see someone who is given first place to their own spiritual health and to the spiritual health of the church? Pay close attention to, hold on to, give oneself to, because diligence and care are compulsory in Christianity. Most of us might think we have an idea of what compulsory it is. We know that we had compulsory lessons in school. But the word literally means just necessary or enforced lessons. And we don't like to think of anything in Christianity as something being enforced. But if the Holy Spirit is in your life and he brings to you the word, we must be obedient. Because diligence and care are compulsory. And we must give an account, especially if you are a church leader. Because the Bible says, James 3, not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So there is some accountability that is required in Scripture. And if it is before no one else, it will one day be before the Lord Almighty. You might ask, how do I or how should I watch over myself? First, practice the discipline of spiritual care. Most of us get up every morning, we take care of our personal appearance. And that's a wonderful thing. I'm so very glad you do. I'm glad you brush your teeth, you wash your face, 
other important parts. You comb your hair. But the disciplines of spiritual care are very often forgotten or set aside or neglected. Three very big, important spiritual care areas of life are repentance, discipline of spiritual nourishment, and discipline of spiritual integrity. Repentance, spiritual nourishment, and spiritual integrity. The apostle, excuse me, the book of Revelation reminds us one of the admonitions to one of the churches of Re in Revelation 3 says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. The final words of the Lord Jesus to the church through the Apostle John. Be zealous and repent. Repentance is a very important thing for every Christian. It is Surrendering yourself, dying to self in order that you might live for the Lord. There is also the idea of, of discipline and spiritual nourishment. Most of us, you, most of you are very familiar with Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Another translation says it is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, You have to think differently as a Christian. And that is a discipline you must apply yourself to because we are born lost and dark. And the Word of God is light and life. And it takes some adjusting. It takes some learning. We need to find in His Word spiritual nourishment. There's also disciplines of spiritual integrity. According to our confession, we believe that the Word of God is our final authority for faith and practice. Again, returning to Revelation 3, the Apostle wrote, Remember then, these are the words to the Apostle, that you received and heard. Remember what you received and heard. Keep it and repent if you will not wake up I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come against you Christian leaders church leaders have a higher responsibility to the word of God practice of repentance practice of spiritual nourishment Forsake your old life. Feed and be nourished by the word of God in your new life. And live what you learn. Because God has given a warning to all believers. If you are asleep 
If you do not wake up, I will come as a thief, and you will not be ready. John Calvin once wrote, It is a hideous crime if through our laziness the death of Christ becomes more worthless and its fruit perishes. Watch over yourselves. Prosecete. Pay close attention to. Hold on to. Give oneself to. Because diligence and care are compulsory. And also, you must watch over the flock, the congregation. Acts 20, 28 again, pay attention, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Again, allow me to pause, we'll look at the translations. ESV says, care for the church. Again, I think that's a little soft. It's easy to say, I care for you, but how much do you care? And most of us, I don't know about the ladies, but when we men were youngsters and we were dating and we get Twitter painted over some young lady and then we express our feelings for her and then she responds, well, I only think of you as a brother. I care for you as a brother. And it's kind of a big letdown. So to use these words, care for the church, it doesn't carry much weight. King James Version translates to feed the church. So there is personal involvement. Most of you have had to care for families, and sometimes when you're caring for your own family, it, it takes a lot of personal involvement because there's always something going on that needs to be done. Whether you want to do it at that time or not, you'd rather be doing something else, but it needs to be done now. I have an elderly dog, and she's sick, and she's weak. But she has this way of letting me know. I've learned her grunts. Mm. She's thirsty. <laughs> I need to go out. And whenever she said, whenever she lets me know, it's time to get up and do it. Who would have ever thought you'd have to care for a dog that way? They're usually trained to serve you, but now she knows who's boss. To feed the church is personal involvement, and it takes commitment to do that. To feed the church what? Spiritual food, spiritual nourishment, encouragement, instruction, admonition, prayer, fellowship, friendship. To bring unity to the body of Christ. Calvin translated the words, be shepherds. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, 
which he obtained with his own blood. Christ has purchased each and every believer. He has ransomed each and every believer from the bondage of sin with his own blood. And that is something that we need to value highly as Christians. We know we can value it highly in our own lives, but the lives of brothers and sisters in the congregation. This Christian walk whether we are leaders or whether we are just everyday Christians, requires the disciplines of repentance, the disciplines of spiritual nourishment, and the discipline of integrity. The same lesson applies to the rest of the church. Second Timothy 2.10, if we have died with him, Excuse me, 2 Timothy 2.11. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, we will, he will also deny us. Let's set aside the concept, the idea, of, or the classification of Christian leader. Christ, the Holy Spirit, has called and appointed certain men, given gifts, certain leaders in the church, the, the responsibility of leading but he's given to all believers a call to be his and a promise that we will rule and reign with him. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking here. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. So in one very big sense, to the rest of the world, we are all leaders. In fact, the Apostle Peter calls us a priesthood. You never thought your life was that important, did you? Get used to the idea. Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Again, repentance. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul is talking about crucifying the self in our repentance if we were to live for Christ. 1 Peter 1.14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Put it all behind you. And seek Him and His righteousness in your life. Ephesians 4.17, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. This is not what, in verse 20 of that same chapter, this is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. 
to put off the old self with belongings to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in your spirit and minds. It's all about repentance. It's all about nourishment. It's all about integrity in the Christian life. How do I live a Christian life? If you've been a Christian very long, you've heard sermons and, or lessons on Ephesians 6, the armor of God. You know, you've got to put on the belt of truth. You've got to put on the belt breastplate of righteousness. You've got to have the shoe, your shoes on your feet. You've got to have the shield of faith. You've got to have the sword of the spirit. You've got to have the helmet of salvation. And in your mind, you, you imagine yourself dressed like that. And all of a sudden, you hold up your sword and you holler, Shazam, and thinking you've got spiritual superpowers. But I've got to be honest, that's not how it works. Perhaps I need to do a few lessons, a sermon series on the armor of God. Because it's not imagining yourself as a super Christian. It's applying yourself to repentance, seeking nourishment in his word, and living according to that word faithfully. And then God blesses, and God strengthens your faith. Titus 3.5, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he has saved us. By the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Philippians 2.12 and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will, to work, will and to work to do his good pleasure. I heard that described as kind of like the wings of a bird. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Apply yourself to repentance, spiritual nourishment, and integrity. For it is God who works in you to do his goodwill and pleasure. While you're seeking to be obedient to him, be obedient to him, and not as something that is tasks or burdensome, but loving him in response to the grace and mercy he has given you, he will bless. He will renew. He will strengthen as he has promised to do. And if you are faithful in this way, there's one byproduct or one result among many. You will be sensitive to spiritual danger. If you are faithful in the disciplines of repentance, nourishment, and, and, and integrity, you will become sensitive to spiritual danger. Verse 29, the Apostle Paul was telling them, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Be sensitive to spiritual danger. 
to draw away the disciples, excuse me, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish you, everyone, with tears. The Apostle Paul was being a shepherd, being personally involved and committed to teaching them and equipping them with knowledge, spiritual nourishment of the Word, and calling to the, them to repentance in order that they might be equipped and ready and strong enough to live for the Lord. Many years ago, Hannah Arendt tried to warn the world about the danger of the Nazis or the wolves. Wolves are wild. They are stealthy. And they are dangerous. If you are not ready, if you haven't been faithful in repentance, nourishment, and integrity, you won't know the wolves are there until it's too late. And that has already happened to so much of the church around the world. Most of you are aware that wolves have been placed on the endangered species list in many states, in most states across America. It's illegal to kill one. It's almost like they've been given permission to go in and take sheep, and all kinds of lives, sheep and chicken, all kinds of livestock, and you can't stop it. You must watch out for spiritual dangers or personally sin, metaphorical wolves, because sin in your own life that remains will just destroy your soul. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Such a verse like that, as brief as it is, should be frightening to your heart. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Galatians 5.16 I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You must watch out and warn yourselves about the spiritual dangers that destroy your soul. They can be dangers of lust, gluttony, greed, pride. All of these things personally are metaphorical wolves. If they're allowed to remain, if they are not killed, if they are not crucified, they will present problems in your spiritual health. It's the same way within the church as a whole, all across the world, a grander scale. We've talked about it personally. Here it is, grander scale. If we warn any, anyone today about the presence of spiritual wolves, about the danger in the church, we are criticized as being judgmental unkind, extreme. And in my young life, it was an honor and a mark of integrity as a Christian if you were known as a fundamentalist. That meant you believed the Bible and you took no exception to it. But now if you're a fundamentalist, you're extreme. We're not going to listen to you. It's almost as if the wolves are already taking the camp. 
but the wolves have already decimated the church of Christ. And who are these wolves? Anyone who dilutes the message of the gospel. Anyone who changes the message of the gospel. Anyone who takes an exception to any part of scripture. Well, that's what the Bible says, but we've, we've evolved beyond that. We're more mature than that. We know that science proves that wrong. Science hasn't proven anything. There are many ministers today who could be considered wolves. And many of them have big smiles and nice clothes, fancy cars, big homes, jet airplanes. And you know who I'm talking about. There are even some who are in the pulpit today who deny Scripture. There are some who would say that the Old Testament has no bearing upon the Christian life, that the law of God, the Ten Commandments, are not relevant any longer. These men are wolves. We need to have the discernment to know, stay away. They are dangerous. They've already caused too much division. And the Apostle Paul is warning the early church, and he warns us as well. Let us pray. Father, here it is. We ask that you might apply it to our lives and our understanding. May we take seriously your word and its truth for our own personal lives, our own personal souls as well as the life of the church. Use us, Lord, for your glory. We ask this humbly in your name. Amen.